Hi, this is Bob of Bob Sloan Audio Productions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? Do you have a desire to communicate an idea, opinion, or even a hobby or interest you'd like to share with the world? And do you have the communication skill and dedication? If so, let's talk. Send an email and a short description of your idea to bob at bobsloan.com. That's bob at b-o-b-s-l-o-n-e dot com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. First of all, Joe Biden said in March of 2020 that, quote, Donald Trump's remain in Mexico policy is dangerous, inhumane, and goes against everything we stand for as a nation of immigrants. My administration will end it. Joe Biden proceeded to do so, and our border was flooded with hundreds of thousands of immigrants. Then, NBC reported this week that the Biden administration plans to restart Trump's remain in Mexico policy at the border mid-November. Why not tomorrow? I'm sure they have their nefarious reasons, but at least it's going to happen next month. In COVID news, the National Institute of Health is now admitting Anthony Fauci and former NIH head Francis Collins, who just suddenly retired a few days ago, lied when they claimed they had not funded gain-of-function research through Echo Health Alliance. This means they lied to Congress, to the media, and most importantly, to us, the American people, and really the worldwide over. Now, the NIH also wants to claim they did gain of function, but not the gain of function that likely resulted in the creation of the virus that gave us COVID-19. And as Steve Dace tweeted out, that's a bit like OJ saying, yeah, I knifed a blonde and her lover, but not that blonde and her lover. For COVID cases this week, they continue to drop in the southern states despite hundreds of thousands of folks in the stands at football games and NASCAR races. COVID cases numbered 8,376 in Florida this week. Meanwhile, New York had 17,834 cases. These are two states with roughly the same population numbers, but New York is far more vaccinated and still enforcing some form of mask mandates and lockdowns. I continue to believe that COVID is seasonal, hitting southern states in the summer and northern states in the winter. Um, there's Last year, we had uh, a hit in the southern states in January, February, some primarily January. And uh, I believe part of that's because we had tamped it down. We just delay. The lockdowns tend to just delay things. It will get there eventually. We had delayed it in much of the summer, and then it kind of started to hit us again in the the southern states here. But lockdowns nor masks seem to have any effect on how or when a state or country is hit. Again, they just tend to, the lockdowns tend to just delay it, which is further supported by the lack of a spike in the southern states after college football started, even though Anthony Fauci was sure that that was a bad idea. So lastly, as a follow-up to last week's discussion on Loudoun County Public School, which I think that's the correct pronunciation, uh, so... Sorry about last week because I think I got it wrong, but an email obtained by WTOP News proves that Loudoun Superintendent Scott Ziegler notified the school board of a ninth grader's alleged rape in May, which was weeks before he publicly denied it. And then the father, when he contested it at the school board member, they allowed him to be drug out uh, by the police 
And after they lied, they allowed him to be drug out by the police and then allowed his picture to be used as the image of parents being terrorists at school board meetings. Unbelievable. Everybody on that board and Scott Ziegler should all be fired, taken out immediately off of the board and out, away from their responsibility. By the way, Scott Ziegler is paid $295,000 a year. That's his salary for that school district. Just as a side note. All right. Let's dive into this. I am a much better orator than I am writer, but I have to go off of notes. And so sometimes my what I'm thinking in my head and what I would say out loud doesn't always come together on a page when I'm typing up my notes for this radio show. And uh, I always send them to my mom. I send my notes to my mom, not always, but a lot of times. And I say, does this make sense? And and then I'll start flushing it out over the phone with her. And she's like, why don't you just say that? And I was like, well, I thought I did, but... <laughs> Sometimes what I'm just what I, I just communicate it verbally better than I do when I write it down. So I'm going I'm going to try to communicate this next topic well for all of you, even though I have to go off of my notes but you know I have to have something written down a little bit. So the winds of change are blowing from football stadiums to bars to NASCAR tracks, to television interviews, to comedians, to baseball games, to TikTok, all across the country, and even some foreign countries. The American people are voicing their dissatisfaction with Joe Biden and his administration. So what am I talking about? Well, what started out as a foul, derogatory chant toward Biden that I will not repeat turned into a much cleaner version after an ESPN reporter at a NASCAR race attempted to cover up the chants of the crowd by claiming they were chanting the phrase, let's go, Brandon. So the cover-up instantly became viral internet gold as Americans countrywide began to use the new version to mock Biden, his administration, and now the media elites who attempt to play defense for the White House. T-shirts, mugs, and flags, they're all over the place now sporting the phrase that appears innocent, but represents a discontentment that's roiling deeply within millions of Americans. As the kids hashtag on TikTok, if you know, you know. So what does all this mean, though? Why would I say that the winds of change are blowing? Well, I think what we will see is human nature work to the benefit of America and conservatism. Now, what do I mean? <laughs> First, let me set the stage. In decades past, Democrat liberals have fashioned themselves as the party of the working class and as cultural rebels, and I put air quotes around that, who resisted government edicts. Meanwhile, these liberals and their media allies have simultaneously portrayed Republican conservatives as stodgy old white men intent on taking away the rights of women and minorities. All right, so that's kind of the background here. That's the stage. But as J.B. Shirk wrote for The American Thinker, this portrayal of liberals and conservatives leads to puzzling contradictions. Liberal Democrats proudly define themselves as cultural rebels, yet they couldn't be any more status quo. They believe what big business believes, 
They embrace what big tech embraces. They cheerlead for government power and cultishly follow anyone with credentials or, quote, expertise. We must listen to Dr. Fauci, they say. He's an expert. Of course inflation is transitory. The Fed said so. An unwarmed baby is just a clump of cells. It's Supreme Court president. Unless we let the United Nations control global energy supplies, we're all going to die in a few years. Every government-paid environmentalist has predicted so for 50 years. Free thinking, debate, and iconoclasm are not allowed. Here is where human nature shows up. Humans, due to our fallen sin natures, are rebels, plain and simple. And the liberal Democrats in America have lost their veneer of rebellion. It's clear to see they couldn't be more boring, and there's few things more dangerous to a political party in an entertainment-driven culture than being defined as boring. Shirk continued by pointing out in his article that nothing says boring conservative grandmother like being thrown in the pokey by the feds for showing up at a political rally. Nothing says tired old party like President Trump whooping and hollering up a storm in front of tens of thousands of raucous fans. Nothing says we hate women like fighting to protect women's sports. Nothing says we hate minorities like trying to preserve police presence in their neighborhoods. And nothing says mild, nice, and good-mannered like rowdy Americans packing football stadiums and NASCAR races and lining up along presidential motorcade routes just to scream, let's go Brandon, at the top of their lungs. How very beaver cleaver of those go-along-to-get-along political conservatives. Who's raging against the machine these days? It's not who the mainstream media portrays as the cultural rebels. That's for sure. And freedom fighters the country over are waking up to that fact. Liberal Democrats are, in fact, the boring, compliant party. All right. I know the term rebel makes some of us cringe, but the idea of being anti-establishment is appealing to young Americans. It also appeals broadly to all of human nature because at our core, humans are anti-authority. Rebellion against authority is literally why we had the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who fights for the conservative cause is a rebel. Certainly not. I'm just saying there is a segment of the population that liberal Democrats used to be able to draw to their side because they were able to appeal to that group's anti-establishment nature. And I believe they are now losing that appeal and they are losing that group. Although, I'll add this, I would be remiss not to mention that I think part of what bears the responsibility for young people moving toward the conservative party is the impact conservative social media influencers have had. I believe organizations like Prager University and Turning Point USA have successfully recruited young people and a lot of minorities on social media to help spread their message, and that has had a significant impact as well. So you combine those two things. You combine... The influence of social media, these young social media influencers that have been recruited by PragerU and U- Turning Point USA and others, you combine that with young people's uh, just 
human nature of wanting to be anti-establishment and you've got a group of folks, especially young people, who may not necessarily be conservative because they're of their Christian background, um, but they're moving in that direction. Now, let me say this. Christians have submitted their rebellious tendencies to Christ. Yet we stand for conservatism because we recognize that conservatism champions our natural God-given rights. So, we have two groups here who may end up fighting for the same thing, but for totally different reasons. Christian conservatives, because we believe in the God-given rights upon which our forefathers established America. And the average rebel who simply wants to defy authority and tradition. Those are the two groups. And I've said many times in recent years that we fight battles with the soldiers beside us. And often those soldiers in the foxhole with us are not who we would have chosen. I wouldn't choose J.K. Rowling and Dave Chappelle to fight against transgenderism with me, but here we are. Another thing, the scripture tells us there is nothing new under the sun. And history tells us that humanity tends to drift from one end of the political spectrum to the other. And nothing says tyranny like the crushing of personal liberties that has occurred over the past two years by governments worldwide. Now, maybe I'm overly optimistic in believing the pendulum will not have to swing further toward tyranny for Americans to wake up. I pray I am not wrong. Now, I think people are waking up. And I don't really think I'm wrong about that. I think Americans are waking up. The reality, though, is, is is it too late? Are our government agencies and others, do they have in some of these um, social media and Internet giants, do they have too much of a monopoly? Have we given over? Have we slept too long so that we cannot take back our rights quickly enough? Well, here's some suggestions. How do we constructively direct this growing tide of discontentment? Because the last thing we want is for a whole bunch of angry young people to... We, we don't want war as far as the shooting of guns and the explosion of bombs. We don't want that here in the United States. And thankfully, our American forefathers established a government in which we should not have to resort to that kind of thing for our rights and our desires as the American people to be heard. So, again, how do we constructively direct this growing tide of discontentment? Seven suggestions. First of all, continue to expose the tyrannical nature of the Democrat Party. Thankfully, as much as social media has attempted to squelch the truth, they have not managed to do so completely. The truth eventually comes out. Sometimes it takes too long, in my opinion, but people are becoming more aware that the fa- of the fact that the social media giants are squelching the truth, that the internet, by and large, is squelching the truth. And so they're going outside of that, and they're learning to look outside of their normal venues that they go to for news. If we were entirely dependent on 
on the mainstream media, we would continue to be ignorant to government tyranny and corruption. For example, we would have no idea of the viral spread of the Let's Go Brandon chance. Nor would we know the truth about South why Southwest airline flights were delayed in the last week or two. We would have no, tr uh, no idea of the truth about parents at school board meetings, about whips being used at the border, about Nobel Prize winning medication, about babies in the womb, and about men being women. We wouldn't know the truth about any of those things. Number two, educate folks on the real purpose of the U.S. government and our Constitution. I encourage you and everyone you know to take a class on the Constitution. Prager University, the John Birch Society, and Hillsdale College all offer classes on the Constitution. Number three, secure our elections. If you're looking out at what's going on across the country right now and still telling yourself Joe Biden is the most popular president in U.S. history, boy, have I got a horse to sell you. Because that's absurd. Number four, allow only U.S. citizens to vote. Look, if folks need an ID to speak at a school board meeting, they for darn sure need an ID to vote in an election. Number five, buy a gun and take a class on how to use it. The more guns and ammunition citizens own, the more nervous the elites get, and that's a good thing. But know how to use it. Number six, simplify our laws, one item per law, and throw a whole bunch of laws out. As I said last week, our law code is too cumbersome to be of any benefit to our citizenry. Number seven, while I'm dreaming... <laughs> Close down the Department of Education, the Federal Reserve, and a host of other useless, illegal, yes, illegal, government agencies. Look, now is the time. Now's the time, number six, simplify our laws, one item per law. Now's the time for that, too. We are on a wave of change right now. I think we're, we're starting to catch that. I hope we are. Maybe I'm naive, but I hope we are. I think, I think that desire for change, the dissatisfaction with the status quo, I think that that's roiling within people. I think that is growing. And so folks are now willing to make the sacrifices necessary to be able to make some of these changes. And these things that I've just mentioned are some of the changes that need to happen, especially number six. I mean, all of them are, are important, but the ones that seem more difficult to achieve, number six, simplifying our laws and how we pass them. And number seven, like I said, getting rid of these useless, illegal government agencies. Millions of parents are dissatisfied with the public school system and teachers are leaving in droves. Y'all get together and start something new. Pandemic pods, for one. I love that idea. I think it's been brilliant for parents. You have so much more control over the education of your child and the people that are influencing your child and the other children that are coming into your, the life of your child when you go this route. There's lots of options out there. Furthermore, millions of Americans are unhappy with how interwoven the government and healthcare are, and thousands of medical practitioners are as well. Okay, y'all get together. Start a private hospital. We can do it, folks. I'm going to give an example of how that's being done. Cattle ranchers in the Midwest have grown weary of four companies having a monopoly on the processing industry. So what did they do? They got together and raised $300 million 
to start a competing processing plant that would bring them more benefits. $300 million they raised to be able to do this. If cattle ranchers can do that, a bunch of parents can start paying teachers to start pandemic pods or private schools. Medical practitioners, patients, American citizens, the country over, we can start COVID clinics, clinics that just respond and take patients. I just was talking to my mom this morning and the fact that you know, will you call your average doctor's office and you want to get you want to get in to see them because you have COVID to get medication and you, you know, appointments can take a week or two weeks to get in sometimes. And so you these COVID clinics that treat acute patients that would say, hey, you need to come in. You can come in right now. And I know a lot of doctor's offices, especially private doctor's offices, they're able to see a patient and, and work the schedule so that they can see a patient the day that they call if they need to come in that day. But it doesn't always work that way. I know plenty of doctor's offices where you got to wait for forever. And you're like, I'm sick now. (laughs) Now is when I need to see a doctor, not two weeks. And so there's a doctor here in South Carolina that has started a COVID clinic that all that she sees is COVID patients. And that you call and you get an appointment that day. Because we recognize the fact that COVID needs to be treated early on. There's money out there to be able to fund those kinds of things. These cattle ranchers did that in the Midwest. We might have to get out of our comfort zones a little bit. But let me tell you, Americans can get out from under the thumb of these money-sucking, oppressive government agencies. Americans are innovative and entrepreneurial with more resources than any other people in the history of the world. We just have to start thinking outside of what we've always done. And I think people might just be ready for that. It will take sacrifice, but sacrifice is a part of every great journey. We sacrifice now for a better future. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com. <laughs>